Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. There are just three weeks left before the current Missouri legislative session ends, and there's been a lot going on and back and forth with this Republican-dominated legislature. St. Louis Public Radio's State House reporter Sarah Kellogg has been following it all over in Jefferson City. She joins us today with a rundown. Sarah, welcome back to the show and thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Elaine. Good afternoon. Now, one of the big things Missouri Governor Mike Parson talked about in his State of the State speech a few months ago was expanding Interstate 70. That's the big highway that connects St. Louis to Kansas City. Parson called it a, quote, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and requested $859 million for it. Sarah, before we get to what the legislature has done so far, what does widening I-70 mean? So widening means adding more lanes. So the mm-hmm. in the original proposal, that would mean three lanes in the suburban areas of St. Louis, Kansas City, and Columbia. Now, I'm not sure where that would be on the Kansas City side, but for St. Louis, I believe they're talking about the Wentzville area, adding an additional lane on each side of the highway. Mm-hmm. And the Senate Appropriations Committee... Um, did make a lot of changes to the House budget this week, including a $2.8 billion I-70 plan, as opposed to the $860 million plan the House passed. Now, uh, math is not my forte, but there's a big <laughs> difference between $860 million and $2.8 billion, uh, and not just with the, the letters there. What accounts for the difference? Oh, yeah, a huge difference. And really, the big difference is what that money is going towards. So that's going to go towards expanding all of I-70 to three lanes on each side, not just the sections that Parson outlined. So half of that money, $1.4 billion, will go towards a construction fund, while the other half, Senator Lincoln Huff, who's the appropriations chair, is proposing paying through bonds. So that's what the Senate plans to do that the House doesn't. You know, another big difference is where the different chambers decided to put this money. So the Senate restored it back into the budget bill that contains the Department of Transportation funding. The House has placed that money in a later budget bill used for larger projects. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that turns out. Mm -hmm. And so what is it that will be happening from this point? Well, I mean, if if the Senate plan goes through, I mean, that will be a lot of years of, of construction, but eventually it will be three lanes at minimum on each side. You know, I, I think that uh, it just depends kind of where the budget kind of ends up. It's still mm-hmm. kind of a working progress. But ultimately, the goal for the Senate is three lanes on each side for I-70, which I think will make a lot of people happy. Mm-hmm. And do rural legislators whose districts aren't near I-70 support the plan? You know, I think there's a lot of agreement, maybe not by everyone, but I think by a lot of people that, you know, how important I-70 is as far as transportation and commerce in the state. So I don't expect to see too much pushback. Also, both the House and Senate have put in dollars and expressed interest in improving I-44 as well as other roads. So I-70 isn't the only highway that's going to get attention this budget cycle. Mm -hmm. Now, anti-trans bills are also something that 
you've been following, that we've been talking about. And while anti-trans legislation is not new in Jefferson City compared to previous years, the rhetoric around it this year has been ramped up, um, not just in Missouri, but across the country. The Missouri House has passed legislation that stops transgender athletes in the state from participating in school sports that align with their gender identity. Sarah, why do Republicans say that this is necessary? Republicans have repeatedly stated that it's about fairness in sports. A lot of the times the debate, it's fallen back to the discussion of, you know, maybe advantages trans girls maybe have over cisgender girls in sports. However, it's not like this is a brand new issue in the sports world. The Missouri State High School Activities Association already has guidelines on sports participation for transgender athletes, as does the NCAA for college sports. So it's not like this is a brand new issue that, you know, organizations haven't considered before. And to what schools does this bill apply? Yeah, so it depends on the bill you're talking about. Uh, uh-huh. There's both a House bill and a Senate bill. So if we're talking about the House bill, that would apply to grades sixth grade and up in public and public school districts and charter schools. It also applies to the collegiate level for both public and private universities. So that's the House bill. So Democrats, again, who are in the minority, say the bill takes away a place where children feel like they belong. I mean, has that point gotten any sort of traction as far as you can tell? I mean, if, if if we're talking about two Republicans, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the it's it, this is I think for many a big priority for them to get this bill and another one uh, related to uh, transgender youth, you know, across the finish line this year. So I, I think that you know a lot of the discussion for Republicans is is scholarship opportunities and maybe why not winning is harming cisgender girls. But a lot of Democrats are saying it's winning isn't everything with sports. And a lot of people want just a place to belong. And that would strip and this bill would strip out of that. Right. Now, there's also legislation that would prevent transgender minors from getting gender affirming health care, like puberty blockers and hormone treatment. Where does this now stand? So the legislation on gender affirming health care is currently kind of in the same situation as the bills on transgender athletes. So mm-hmm. both the House and Senate have passed their own version of the bill and they want the other chamber to take up their own bill. Uh, Senate leadership has already said that the House should realize how hard the Senate worked to reach a compromise that ended a Democratic filibuster. So there's a good chance that if the Senate were to take up the House bills, the filibuster would start up again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the House bills have yet to get a hearing in the Senate, while the Senate bills have passed out of the House committee. So technically speaking, the House is theoretically more ready to pass the Senate bills and vice versa. So there's also what has happened with Attorney General Andrew Bailey and the emergency order that would do um, this this thing of uh, of blocking or preventing um, health care, gender affirming health care for everyone unless strict conditions are met. And that goes in effect next week. If we're to assume that this is going to happen, both things, the emergency rule and the legislation is approved. What happens then, Sarah? Uh, I mean, it's a lot of what ifs in that. I, first, I want to give major props to St. Louis Public Radio, Sarah Fentum and Jason Rosenbaum, who have been covering the attorneys general's rules as I've been focused on the legislature. You know, in regards to those rules, you know, it would block treatment like hormone therapy and gender transition surgery. Contender regulations are, and sorry, some say that those regulations are so onerous that they'll result in gender affirming care being shut off for everyone, not mm-hmm. to, you know for both trans kids and adults. And furthermore, several, but several LGBTQ rights groups have said they plan to sue over the rules. So that's, 
theoretically could go into effect next week, but it could get blocked. Now with the legislature, that depends on if the bills pass as well as what version would pass. So Mm -hmm. if it's the House version, that bill is a lot stricter than the Senate's, which has a clause. The Senate has a clause allowing transgender youth who are already receiving care like hormone treatment and puberty blockers to continue to do so. And the ban on those treatments would also end after four years. So Mm -hmm. there's, you know, not a lot of clarity. It depends on what bill passes. It depends on lawsuits. There's a lot kind of up in the air still. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Sarah Kellogg, who is St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter, uh, just catching up on what's going on in this uh, current legislative session. Now, let's talk about St. Louis Police. Um, what's the status of efforts in Jefferson City that would place the St. Louis Police Department under a state-appointed board? And uh, we should note here that Kansas City's police department is operated that way, and that St. Louis uh, Police Department used to be that way until it regained control in 2013. Yeah, it's been about a decade of of local control. That bill has passed the House and it has passed the Senate committee, but is yet to be heard on the Senate floor. Now, you know, during the hearing on this bill, one of the people who spoke against it was St. Louis Police Chief Robert Tracy. He said he's only worked under local control. That's what he knows. And he's asking for a chance to do his job. So I, you know, we'll see what happens with those discussions. I'm sure there will be resistance from St. Louis, uh, you know, senators on that bill, uh, especially Democrats. So we're going to see kind of what happens with that one. Right now, it's still awaiting debate on the Senate floor. And if it were to pass, I think there would be some changes. It might go back to the House. So right now, we're just waiting to hear debate. Okay. Now, about the special prosecutor bill, the Missouri House has passed a bill that would allow for the state takeover of local prosecutor offices. And it's specifically to strip the authority of local prosecutors to handle violent crime cases. Democrats oppose the bill, saying it diminishes voters' rights. And we should be clear that this is targeted um, against St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner and her alleged mismanagement of the office. So what what happens now, Sarah? Yeah, so with that bill, you know, it does technically apply to any jurisdiction that has a specific murder rate, uh, murder case rate. Now, St. Louis is the only one that has that rate right now, so mm. it is definitely widely seen as targeting Kim Gardner. It's not specifically towards St. Louis, but right now St. Louis is the only one that this bill would be applicable to. Uh, the status on the special prosecutor bill is kind of the same as the police bill right now. Uh, It passed out of the House a while ago. It's passed out of a Senate committee, but it's been on the House bill calendar in the Senate. Now, there isn't a specific date on when that bill will be brought up, but I think it definitely has a better chance of being heard first compared to the police bill. Mm -hmm. Now, let's shift to farmland and ownership of it. Something, Sarah, that you've indicated um, is that Republicans want to get uh, done this session a ban to for uh, to ban foreign ownership of farmland. Why do Republicans want to do that? You know, I think repeatedly the idea of it being a matter of security has been brought up throughout debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, lawmakers have even cited the Chinese spy balloon incident that happened back in February, right. and so that's kind of been a kind of a push towards that. Now, the House bill, the House has passed their version of the bill. Mm-hmm. The Senate edited it. So the original House bill still allowed for 0.5% of Missouri's agriculture land to be procured by foreign countries, It all, but it also had a list of five countries, Iran, Venezuela, Russia, China, and North Korea that couldn't obtain any more land. Mm-hmm. Now, the Senate bill took that, you know, the Senate took that bill, and now it bans any foreign entity from acquiring that land. And you have to remember, this action comes about 10 years after St. Lawmakers passed legislation that lifted a total ban on foreign ownership of ag land. And then Governor Jay Nixon, Democratic Governor Jay Nixon, vetoed that bill, but his veto was overridden. So this is a problem that the legislature more or less created. Now Mm -hmm. they're trying to 
revert back to what it was. So more back and forth. <laughs> yep, it's that's it's that we're at that stage where it's kind of a game of chicken, mm-hmm. <laughs> where we're seeing which chamber is going to blink first as far as passing bills. Right. No, it, I don't know whether we should uh, wager on anything, but as far as sports <laughs> betting goes, um, that has received a lot of attention, and it is one of the things I believe we talked about. Um, when you talked with us uh, back when legislative session this time was getting started in January, many of the states surrounding Missouri allow it, including Illinois, and we've seen leaders from St. Louis's professional sports teams lobby in favor of sports betting. So where does that now stand? Now, I would have won a bet that I had proposed <laughs> that this was going to get held up in the Senate, and that's exactly what's happening. So the House passed their version of the bill, which just addresses sports betting. Um, but the Senate, similar to last year, has run into a snag where some senators, um, not just Senator Denny Hoskins, but particularly Senator Denny Hoskins, wants the bill to contain language authorizing video lottery machines. Mm-hmm. Those are those gaming uh, machines that you see like at gas stations. But an amendment on those machines was voted down by the Senate on the Senate version of the bill. So that bill's not gone anywhere. I don't know if the House bill's going to go anywhere. Honestly, I think we might be waiting another year or honestly two until we get sports betting across mm-hmm. the finish line. No, this is something, uh, unfortunately, that we are <laughs> looking at, and that is about guns and guns control. In late mm-hmm. February, students at Central Visual and Performing Arts High School rallied at the Capitol, and that's the school in St. Louis that last year experienced a deadly shooting. The students specifically were asking for red flag laws, which are laws that would allow people to petition a judge for the temporary removal of someone's firearms. Is there any appetite among Republicans for anything involving gun control measures? It really doesn't look like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even recently, the House just voted down amendments that would have either raised the age to purchase a firearm or it would have made it illegal for someone under the age of 20 to buy a semi-automatic or automatic weapon. It just doesn't seem like there's a way forward with any kind of version of that. And furthermore, the pa- the House just this past week passed a bill that allows concealed carry permit holders to bring guns onto public transportation and within mm-hmm. places of worship. So it seems like we're really allowing more guns more than trying to pass gun control measures. Mm-hmm. On DEI language, uh, the House had added anti-DEI language to every budget bill, and the House voted to prohibit spending for, quote, staffing, vendors, consultants, or programs associated with diversity, equity, and inclusion, unquote. Earlier this week, the Senate committee removed that anti-DEI language. Why did the Senate remove that language, Sarah? Uh, so Senate Appropriations Chair Lincoln have, you know, kind of said at the beginning of the discussion on like the language of the budget that he recommended the removal after talking to state departments, vendors, so many businesses who kind of asked for that language to be gone. You know, House Repub- House Democrats have repeatedly said how much of a problem that language is. And so many vendors, businesses have policies related to diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Representative Peter Meredith, who represents uh, St. Louis City, you know, he's a ranking member of the House Budget Committee. You know, he said a while back that the Capitol wouldn't be able to keep its lights on because Amron has DEI initiatives. And mm-hmm. Amron indeed has a DEI section on his website. That could propose a problem under the language. Now, this isn't over. Budget discussions are still ongoing. But for now, that language is out. We'll see what happens when those bills make it to the Senate floor. So one last thing, and perhaps in just a couple sentences, uh, our next conversation is going to be about Missouri public libraries and funding for it. Earlier this week, the Senate Appropriations Committee restored about $4.5 million that the House had cut for public libraries. So what is the debate 
around public library funding. You know, that money was originally removed by House Budget Chair Cody Smith, and he cited the lawsuit filed to overturn a state law that banned some books from library shelves as the reason for the cut. He said he didn't want state money being used for the lawsuit. However, the ACLU of Missouri, which filed the suit on behalf of the Missouri Association of School Librarians and the Missouri Library Association, is handling the case at no charge. Yeah. So it seems like there's kind of language on accountability, but right now the Senate has that money back. Again, discussions are ongoing. Right now, the money's back. All right. Thank you. Sarah Kellogg is STLPR's State House Reporter. This episode was produced by Emily Woodburn. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorf. Our production intern is Avery. This week, we had to say goodbye to our cherished sound artist-turned-journalist, Avery Rogers. If they bring it half as hard in Madison, Wisconsin, as they did here, the morning show over at WHA is going to be blown away. We'll miss you lots, like 46 across lots. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.